There's been people before and people now, and there will be people after who have navigated this. Let's learn from each other. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Julie, we're in a big rush today, and so we're going to zip through these two podcasts as fast as possible. What did you want to talk about? (laughs) Well, we just had an amazing conference a couple days ago. It was an online conference directed to our families and teachers who are working with special needs students. Yes, I remember when you pitched this idea, Mm -hmm. and I thought, yeah, they're out there. I mean, when you travel around and talk to families at conventions— you get the feeling that, you know, if they've got three, four kids, you know, even, mm-hmm. uh, at least one of them, mm-hmm. they're going to say, well, you know, there's this thing going on. It might be attention issues. It mm-hmm. could be spectrum issues. Mm-hmm. Most common would be the dyslexic or dysgraphic issues. There's, Especially in terms of reading and writing. Yeah, mm-hmm. auditory processing things. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, the problems that parents perceive or that teachers perceive are subtle enough not to get a big red flag diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? but significant enough to make it hard mm-hmm. to make the teaching and learning of reading, writing, and arts of language right. more difficult than for other kids. And, of course, our heart is with those parents and yeah. teachers. Yeah, exactly. Now, with that, that conference, and this is kind of what, how I wanted to break up the this this podcast series is kind of following the schedule that we did. And of course, you, if listener, if you want to listen to that whole all-day conference, it wasn't quite all day, but it sure... About <laughs> almost six hours. Six hours, yeah. right. You, Andrew did a session on overcoming obstacles in teaching reading and writing. Mm-hmm. And that's, Andrew, where I want to start today. Right. And then you did another session, basically how IEW can be applied in these situations, how and why it works so well. And then you did a live class, and Mm. I'd like to spend some time talking about some of those strategies that you used with those group of special needs kids. Yeah, that was a great one. And we only had uh, five kids in Mm -hmm. the room because of basically COVID spacing. Right, exactly. Uh, But uh, we had hundreds, yes, many hundreds Mm -hmm. of kids tuning in from home. Yes, and uh, some interesting little participatory chat-like yeah. comments. And, yeah, that was really and fun. that was fun, too. And then uh, the last thing that we did was kind of an Ask Andrew Anything that had a focus of special needs. And we got hundreds, if not thousands, of questions that obviously we didn't get to oh, all of them. Oh, it was so fun answering 100 questions in 48 minutes. Yeah, we de- <laughs> definitely did not do that. But coming up pretty soon is an Ask Andrew Anything. And so I'd like to suggest that maybe we devote that particular AAA, Ask Andrew Anything, to the special needs questions that our listeners might have. And, and those questions are all anonymous, so it's actually Ask Andrew Anything anonymously. Well, 
typically there's a name that's assigned to them. <laughs> we have to call it AAAA. Right. Um, that would be the Auto Club of America Alcoholics Anonymous. Or no. ask any, Andrew anything almost anonymously. Almost anonymously. Yes. That would be five. Yeah. yeah. We, yeah, could, we, we could, could keep going with we it. We could keep. All right. So you want to start then with kind of an overview of mm-hmm. that one-hour talk. Yes. Overcoming obstacles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've we've heard the word and, and it, it's been something I've been fighting personally is I don't like the word challenged mm-hmm. so much. I mean, it's, it's kind of better than some other options. Mm-hmm. But – I think it puts people in a category. You're challenged. You, you <laughs> right? know, it just yeah. it, it does. It's not helpful. Mm-hmm. But we do have obstacles, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of normal for life. Mm-hmm. We have speed bumps and yeah, roadblocks. No matter and, what we do, at mm-hmm. any given moment, we have obstacles. And of course, you know, I may be better suited for overcoming certain obstacles than someone else, but yeah. other people are oversuited to overcome obstacles of different sorts than I am. Yes. So then, okay, we get back to the truth. Mm-hmm. We're all people. We're all individual. We're all flawed and brain injured. Mm-hmm. We're far less than perfect. Mm-hmm. And when we can get that perspective for our kids, mm-hmm. that they're all different and some things are going to be easier or harder, but nobody's better or worse. Can I share an analogy that yeah. was shared by Dr. Eide when we had him on our podcast? Right. Uh-huh. He talked about the albatross and how an albatross could fly, I think it's days, across the ocean, just soar gracefully. And then when it lands, it just <laughs> kind of stumbles, like look, not look exactly sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what you just described made me think of that albatross analogy that – People were just were just different. Yeah. So, you know, the talk I, I do, Overcoming Obstacles mm-hmm. in Reading and Writing, mostly draws people who have kids with visual issues. Mm-hmm. Not always. Mm-hmm. So I go over and talk about the various things that could be making the learning or teaching and learning of reading more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, obviously, being dyslexia. Yeah. And... I I don't want to get into that here because we have so many excellent other podcasts and yep. resources and links. Uh, we've interviewed the IDs, mm-hmm. a couple that has worked intensely in that mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've interviewed Susan Barton, who has a huge uh, wealth of resources. Right. And the thing I, I remember from Susan that bears repeating is, you know, she said, you don't really need to go get an expert diagnosis of your child as to whether they are dyslexic or not, because almost all the time, if you think they might be, they probably are. But then within the word dyslexic, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different issues that can happen. So there's kind of the true genetic dyslexic uh, for which the people who study and teach about that and have programs, you know, that's that's an area way beyond or outside of my area mm-hmm. of expertise. Mm-hmm. But I do understand some of the other visual problems that can appear like dyslexia but are different. Uh, one of those would be just a convergence of vision, you know, the two eyes working together to be able to track well. That That is actually something that is fixable. 
to mm. some degree. Mm. Uh, it may or may not have a genetic component. But when I was working with Glenn Doman in the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential back in the early 80s, you know, we would see kids who would have grown up without the, the full development of convergence of vision. So when they get to reading, tracking, or even depth perception, or even catching a ball, mm. right, which is coming at you very fast, <laughs> um, you know, that they can not have the neurological infrastructure to do that easily. Mm -hmm. And so there are things which can be done to strengthen convergence of vision, either from kind of a optometrist point of view, or flat out get back on your hands and knees and creep around, you know, for a mile a day for six months or a year and reactivate those parts of the midbrain that should have organized hmm. itself during that developmental period. I remember when you were giving this talk, you know, a couple days ago and now then when this podcast launches a couple weeks ago, right. you were talking about a right-handed person being left-eyed dominant. Right. Is that, that what you're would, talking about? That would be the next thing. So okay, there's great. a convergence of vision, which yeah. is just using two eyes together. It's a midbrain function. You know, it can be addressed. Mm -hmm. uh, also would be mixed dominance. Okay. So if you're right if you're right-handed, mm -hmm. ideally, you would be right-sided in everything else. Mm -hmm. So you'd be right-eyed, right-eared, right-legged, right-mouthed, yeah. I don't know, right-nosed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but you would attack life kind of in a unified way. That's, mm -hmm. that's dominant. Mm -hmm. And for most right-handed people, left brain dominant, that's the language executive function, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then you think of the subdominant hemisphere as being the artistic, intuitive and, of course, the, the hemispheres are constantly working together. Sure. Uh, but one thing that can be challenging is if you have a brain injury, and all of us have brain injuries, some very small, some larger than others, some very noticeable, but no one is neurologically flawless. Mm -hmm. So that was so helpful to me when I realized not only are all of my children brain injured, I myself am brain injured. Right. So, <laughs> you know, we're all working in this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you may have, say, you know, right-handed, but because of a mild brain injury, left eye dominant. Um, that's not terribly uncommon. And so uh, that can make it harder. Or if you have a mixed laterality where you're kind of shifting between right and left eye, right eye, left eye, right eye, left eye, images moving around on you all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That can also be addressed. Uh, behavioral ophthalmologist may have some exercises, may say patch an eye, mm. patch the subdominant eye and try to get the dominant eye to be mm. doing its job. So, you know, you look at that as well. Uh, so there's these visual issues. And I would say... I think 80 to 90 percent of the people I meet who have kids with moderate, you know, obstacles, mm -hmm. use that word, <laughs> um, in reading and writing, that's where they fall. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we have tools to help. You know, the second thing could be more on the auditory side, mm. and this would be spectrum uh, issues, you know, autistic spectrum things, auditory processing disorders. These are a little bit harder to deal with because they have to do with a a deeper level of language processing. And so oftentimes, you know, that's like, how do you get a kid to understand something he doesn't understand? Mm -hmm. um, how do you extend his attentiveness to a point where more complex things can be mm. taken in. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so that's where we look at our methodology mm-hmm. and say, okay, a, a complex thing needs to be more explicitly, more carefully, mm-hmm. intentionally broken into smaller pieces. Right. Uh, and whether that's building uh, auditory attentiveness through listening to music or listening to language that is coming through an audio Mm-hmm. source like a parent reading mm-hmm. to a child or an audio book or the language in their auditory environment. Um, how do you adjust the way you would do that mm-hmm. for uh, kids like that who just don't have the attentiveness mm-hmm. uh, or they scramble up auditory information so they don't recall as accurately as would be helpful what happened first, what happened next, what happened after that, what happened after that. It's kind of scrambled up. And that makes the reading and writing also difficult. And then there's kind of, you know, attention issues like just sitting in a chair for 10 minutes is overwhelming for some boys, you know. (laughs) Do you have to sit in a chair? You Mm -hmm. know, chairs are kind of a a way to control people. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that's fine. If you have a class of 26 nine-year-olds, you need Mm -hmm. to have methods. (laughs) Right. Uh, of controlling them, but by saying stay seated mm-hmm. um, to some children, it is almost like saying turn off your brain for a while because it's going to take all your energy to just stay in the chair. You won't hear a thing I say. Well, and I've shared before that, you know, one of my sons and actually it turns out that actually two of my sons are ADD. The, old, the other one I didn't find out until he was an adult. And anyway, but my one of my sons who I knew was ADD had that problem of staying in a chair and it was very difficult for him. And it wasn't until, you know, we gave him permission to do the stand up desk that he actually was successful and yeah. he works for us here at IEW and standing up. He <laughs> most never of the time. <laughs> he never sits down unless he has to for a meeting. Well and one thing you know, I think is worth mentioning. Uh, there's so much we have resources, but uh, the interview with my son, mm-hmm. and I tell a lot of stories about yeah. him. Um, in fact, I think God gave me all of my children with their quirky things, mm-hmm. just so I could tell stories about them to other people. <laughs> I don't know if they would agree with that. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, his little interview mm-hmm. podcast he did with you. Yeah, a lot of it was. On the encouraging side. Absolutely. And it turns out that a a large percentage of entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. people whose names you would recognize Mm -hmm. and are very successful, you know, in a in that modern, high paced, techie, Mm -hmm. financial, creative world were either dyslexic or ADD, mm-hmm. or both. Right, right. Uh, well, why? You know, we think of it, we always think of it negatively. This is such a handicap. It makes mm. it so much harder. But that it's what schools have done. Yeah. Whereas, really, if you see the world differently, that's a great, valuable thing. Because not only, you know, it may make it harder to look at letters and numbers and decoding and, and mm-hmm. abstract two-dimensional things, but it also might mean you see the world differently. Right. You see insights into people and circumstances and situations and problems mm-hmm. that the ordinary person doesn't perceive that far. And, uh, you know, I've noticed that uh, a little bit. So, you know, I think we all 
always need we always need the encouragement mm-hmm. to say this child is the way God made this child and no one is flawless and some things are more challenging but that doesn't mean it isn't a good thing right some things down line you may look back and say wow wasn't that a great one there was a quote I had I don't know if you remember I had my rotating quotes on the signature line yes. in my emails. Yes. I quit doing that, but I remember one quote was that he who struggles to accomplish something is twice blessed mm. because he not only learns the thing he's trying to learn, but he learns how to overcome. Yep. That whole idea of perseverance. Absolutely. And, you know, I've loved that quote for a long time, and I, I remember there was one girl way long ago when we were filming the SICC. Okay. Right? The continuation course. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, I had her in for, you know, eight or nine weeks and I got to know her a little bit. Oh, everything was hard for this girl. Mm-hmm. Everything was tough. And it was always hard for me. I didn't know, right? you know, do you mark every single thing on a paper or do you right. just take the minimalist approach? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. How do you help? But... Toward the end of that time, I observed that she had that quote on the front Mm. of her notebook. She had written and decorated this quote. Hmm. You know, he who, you know, whether it used the word struggles or not, I don't know. But Mm -hmm. he was challenged to to accomplish something is twice blessed. Mm -hmm. And I think we just have to remember And of course, that that makes me think, I I, I just have to do a plug here for our Structured Style for Students. This would be the video course that actually was updated and replaced now the Student Writing Intensive and the Continuation course. But we had a couple kids in there that, oh my goodness, why are they in here? They can hardly even read, especially in the Level A class. And to see them go through that for two years... At first, it was pretty rough for them, but by the end, my goodness, they they totally were on board. They were tracking, and were delighted to be able to do the work and did it well. Yeah, it'll be interesting in a year or two when mm-hmm. we have people that have completed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. If they start to say, "Oh, my son was kind of like so and so, Josh in Zeke, the class," so we they named you know? yes, we just named two names, um, <laughs> Aaron. You know, but but there is that. I'm not in this alone. Right. And that is something I think parents with kids who have obstacles to mm-hmm. reading and writing most need to be reaffirmed is yeah. you're not the only one yeah. who has had this challenge. You're not alone. It's not a de facto bad thing. It may be stressful, mm-hmm. but everything's stressful, you mm-hmm. know. So you you regulate it to life. And how blessed you are to be able to have your child in a situation where there's a parent and or a tutor and teacher, uh, whether it's, you know, in a school or in a hybrid school or a co-op or straight out homeschooling, your children, if you're listening to this now, your children are blessed to have someone who wants to be able to help in a kind of non-institutional way, or mm. I guess what we would say, a more individualized mm. approach, mm-hmm. rather than saying, okay, we have to put this kid in this 
institution that's going to treat him one way until he gets labeled, in which case he gets treated a different way, and these are the only two options. You know, I've met people who say, you know, yeah, I have a child. He, he, he understands anything. He listens to Dickens on audiobooks, and he's only <laughs> 10 years old, and wow. he loves it. He can tell you, you know, his encyclopedic knowledge, but he, can't, he couldn't read a standardized test and pass it to save his soul. Right. Fortunately, our soul salvation not dependent on standardized <laughs> testing. But what do you do with mm-hmm. that? It, you know, it, it, his, that model of kid does not fit mm-hmm. in the typical classroom universe. Right. And, and so how do you maximize you know, that high aptitude and enthusiasm and zeal for learning yep. and then still get down to the nitty gritty of writing letters and writing words and then putting words into sentences and then also you know, being able to you know, accommodate for the challenges in reading. The good news is, is that as kids get older, they get better at adapting and accommodating and they pretty much figure out, okay, this is what my brain is doing and this is what I have to do to exert my willpower over my brain mm-hmm. so that I can do this better and more easily. In some cases, it's very true. They're wanting to read, but they can't. They can't, as you have said before, exercise their will to overcome this. Yeah. You're not saying just give them a pass because they don't need it. What you're saying is eventually through hard work and through perseverance from their teachers and parents, they're going to overcome these obstacles. And that's like true with anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, no matter what you're doing, you can keep going or you can give up. Right. What the question is, are you in an environment Mm -hmm. that encourages you to keep going? Right. You know, and and that could, I I can see application in life to that. I mean, Mm -hmm. you get people who come to a point and say, I really need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And so they go on a regimen. Mm -hmm. Well, everyone knows it's easier if you get encouragement Mm -hmm. from someone who's been there before or you do together with something. Or, you know, uh, in a similar way, you you decide you want to exercise. You know, well, if you have people who are encouraging Mm -hmm. and an environment that's encouraging, you'd keep going. Right. Whereas if you weren't, you'd give up. Well, the same thing's true for... Things that look more academic, mm-hmm. um, you know, you get into, say, playing a musical instrument. Yeah, that's tough, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not as easy for some people as it is for others, but it doesn't mean it isn't worth doing, even if it isn't easy. And then the reward in the end. You know, I often thought, I, I wonder if my violin students who have the hardest time aren't gaining the greatest benefit mm. or a greater benefit compared to those who just learn easily and they look great and make me look great and all that. So, you know, there was that. And then with with academics, you know, we get into that world of being afraid Mm. uh, that, oh, no, if this child doesn't read, it means he'll never be able to learn anything and I'm a total failure and I should give up now. Whereas if you see that you're in with other people, whether it's the dyslexic camp or the autistic camp or the ADD camp, and you say, hey, these problems aren't unique to me. Mm -hmm. There's been people before and people now, and there will be people after Mm -hmm. who have navigated this. Let's learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think about just your story with your son 
who you were kind of ready to give up and you knew how to teach people to read. (laughs) Share that story. Well, you know, it it is kind of like after you have started, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you start showing kids letters and numbers, if they're not interested, maybe a little later. Mm -hmm. But, you know, mostly you think six years old, first grade, you better get started or you'll get behind. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't click and it doesn't click and it doesn't click. How long are you okay with that child not reading? Mm -hmm. Even though you're doing everything you can. Mm -hmm. You know, and in my case, I I always said if he was my first of seven children, I would have thought I'm an idiot, completely, you know, incompetent teacher. Only fortunately, he was number six of the seven Mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. So I had the perspective and also the years of meeting other people's Mm -hmm. children. And and it did get to that point where it's just like, wow, what if he never reads? What what do you do if you have a ten year old who has no interest in really reading anything, right? At all? Does that mean that you actually tried intentionally for four years to try to get him to read? Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, me mm-hmm. and your wife, of course. I was trying. My wife, older daughter Genevieve, was tutoring him for a while. Consulting experts going, paying a lot of money, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, well, maybe all that stuff helped. Mm-hmm. It was getting it in through the ears, mm-hmm. but the the eye thing was just not happening. And then when it did happen, you know, it kind of was a combination of him deciding, you know, I guess I'm really going to have to do this because mm-hmm. everyone else I know reads and I don't want to be mm-hmm. different. And then um, he reached this approaching puberty period, I'm sure as a mom of boys, you've noticed that they hit that age Mm -hmm. and they just start saying, I will do this. Mm -hmm. I can make myself do this, whether it's leap off a tall building (laughs) or, you know, uh, go on a trip or, you know, they get that desire Mm -hmm. to overcome. And for kids who've had challenges and struggles in uh, one area, Mm -hmm. you know, they get that idea, I will beat this thing. Mm-hmm. And they exercise their will over mm-hmm. their neurology. I've seen that again and again, you sure. know, and for boys, usually, you know, 12 years old, plus or minus a year or two. Mm-hmm. And so for him, you know, it was, a, it was that factor mm-hmm. that combined. And then I do think, you know, three or four years of kind of intensive phonics instruction, it was all in the brain. Mm-hmm. It just needed certain conditions to coalesce. Mm -hmm. And he went from zero to 60. I mean, he basically went from barely reading anything, sounding out words, not being sure, hating it, to, you know, within a year reading, I don't know, Bridge to Terabithia. Mm -hmm. I I guess the first book he read was The Bark of the Bog Owl. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Because I started the first couple chapters and then went away on a trip. And it was such a good book. Mm -hmm. He really wanted to read ahead. Mm -hmm. And so he did. So he picked it up because he was motivated. But that's probably what, grade five, six reading level. Mm -hmm. So he went from not reading to almost age level in a very short period of time. And I've seen that again and again, too. Right. And I just want to insert this. And I think most of our listeners who have been listening to us for any length of time recognize your passion for creating a language-rich environment for these kids, whether or not they're able to read and write. And that includes reading out loud, memorizing poetry. So your son, 
He had been listening to audiobooks. audiobooks. He had been in this culture of, so even these two books that you kind of pull out of the air, like everybody knows what these books are. We'll put the link in the show notes so that you can find them. But, you know, people aren't as literate as you are, Andrew. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's just a case where that's my experience. Sure. And so there's a book. I mean, it could be any book that was written about yeah. that grade level. This happened to be a particularly engaging, well-done yeah. book for kids. Yeah. But, you know, I think with, you know, with that, and then I would add in the copywork mm-hmm. side of things, yep. which, you know, people really discount the value of just straight copying. Copying words that they don't even know what they say. They're and that's stop- okay. Yeah. That's okay. Um, you know, three-year-olds don't understand every word they hear. So would you edit yourself, censor yourself so that you never say a word that a child wouldn't understand? <laughs> no, that makes no sense because then no child would ever learn to understand anything. Right, right. So same thing. He's copying a poem. There's a word he's not a word maybe he can't even read, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Mm-hmm. And then if he's learning the poem separately or, mm-hmm. um, you know, having the, the story or book read to him, it, it all integrates. But that more and more I'm seeing how if we started with straight copy work for kids at, say, six or seven years old, mm-hmm. and that was most of what they did in terms mm-hmm. of learning to write, there'd be more kids who benefit from that. And nobody would be stifled. Mm-hmm. If you want to go write a story and exercise your imagination and your creativity, sure. you can do that. Right. Doing copying mm-hmm. isn't going to interfere with your imagination. Right. What it might do is actually supercharge your vocabulary mm-hmm. because you're learning words and writing words mm-hmm. that you might not otherwise think of to use. Right. You're writing sentences you might not otherwise construct on your own, but because you've you've read it, you've written it, you've reread it after you wrote it, you may not understand everything perfectly, but it's giving you an expanded sense of language, and that's going to carry over into expressiveness. But I think if we could restore kind of a, I don't know, mid-1800s style People learn to write through copying, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, proverbs, aphorisms, poetry, Mm -hmm. you know, excerpts of things that are well written. We'd have a lot more kids that have built familiarity, confidence, stamina, Mm -hmm. all of those things that are necessary to do good, you know, what we might say independent or Mm -hmm. creative Mm -hmm. writing, if you want to use that term. So... Uh, I think this deserves more exploration. Yep. Uh, and I would encourage, you know, homeschool parents and teachers who are working with kids who need kind of a building up mm-hmm. of that foundational stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, just making letters, writing words, writing sentences, building stamina, getting control over eyes and hand and brain. And the confidence that results from that, Yep. that uh, I think, you know, if there's anyone out there needing like a master's thesis or something <laughs> or, a, or a doctoral dissertation yeah. on the benefits of copy work in elementary 
you know, yeah. primary grades particularly. Yeah. I think it would be a great research to done because it, you know, it's kind of been disregarded mm-hmm. by modern education much to, uh, I would say, the detriment of many kids, particularly yep. the ones who fall into, mm-hmm. you know, the overcoming obstacles categories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we're going to pick up right here next week when we segue into teaching writing more intentionally using IEW's writing method. All right, we can do that. All right, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.